Welcome to Game Over Montreal. The Montreal Canadiens just ended a back-to-back set on the weekend where they didn't hold the lead for a single second, 1-0-1. That's not too bad to talk about it. I'm going to bring in my two excellent guests from Eyes on the Prize and also Locked on Canadians, Scott Matla and Jared Book. How's it going, guys? It's yeah, it's the vibes are excellent tonight. Um, Better than if we had started the show 15 minutes ago, it might have been a different story. But the vibes today are off the charts. If you're a Habs fan right now, it makes a big difference. A couple of minutes, right? Like just (laughs) one rim pit lick goal. Let's let's start off with the absolute wild shit. That the referees pulled at the end of that game. And like, listen, Weidman should have been in the box. They should have caught that. How they didn't catch that live, I don't know. Ooh, because I can, I can answer that. They're terrible at their jobs. <laughs> okay. Like, that that's... too. But like, <laughs> he hauls off and knees a guy in the nuts. Like, I know he was just trying to set a pick, but he went so hard. <laughs> just... Therabees on the ground. And right like, oh, in the Therabees, man. Right in the Therabees. The <laughs> okay, that's going into the tweet tomorrow when I put this show out. But like, he's on the ground and they're like, oh, he looks a little bit winded. It's like, yeah, he's winded. Chris Weidman just need him in the balls. Right in the Therabees. But then the refs go and they call a major penalty on something they did not see just so they can watch a replay and call a minor. And by the way, the reason why they have to call a major penalty to watch a replay is to specifically avoid going back in time and calling a minor that they didn't see. Listen, did Chris Weidman deserve the penalty? Yes, 100%. But that was some A-grade level shenanigans in a few weeks of banner officiating for the for the NHL between Gallagher getting called for unsportsmanlike conduct for a player putting their stick from the bench in his passing lane and him knocking it out of the way, which is ludicrous, to, I forget which, I think it might have been Tyler Mott for the Vancouver Canucks, got his own stick chopped out of his hands, flew through the air, and hit an opponent in the face, and he got called for high sticking. Please give us off-ice officials. Just have somebody with an eye on the sky, with a few cameras, with a little earbud in the referee on the ice and say, like, you missed something or you got that call wrong. Because, like, the friggin' egos going on here and the shenanigans that refs have to pull to get the right call. When, frankly, it's important to get the right call in that situation. What are we doing here? It's utter madness. (laughs) I just think the referees need help. And we should give them that help. Like, it's not hard. Like, like you want to get the calls right. You don't care about how it's done, right? Like, that's the whole point of instant replay, right? You want the calls to be right. And yes, this can lead to, like, longer games and delays and things like that. But for calls like this, it needs to be done. Like, there needs to be some kind of checks and balances. You know, they thought that adding a second referee would, would help things that obviously 
I mean, it helped to a certain extent, but I mean, you're still missing a ton of stuff. So, I mean, you just need help. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't understand why it's taking them so long to do this. It, 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 here's the thing. It's like, yes, Weidman should have been in the box and they missed the call. And I look at this now and go, okay, is every time they miss a call, are they just gonna be like, you're, you're getting five and everyone's going to lose their mind on the broad. Cause like even the broadcast, like, why is this a five minute major? What is going on? <laughs> and if that's how you have to review penalties, it's a messed up system because like, Hey, we're calling a five minute major. That's really a two minute minor because we missed the two minute minor the first time because we suck at our jobs. It'd be like me walking into work and being like, I don't actually have an equivalent for this. I don't, that metaphor got out of hand, but like, what are we, like you said, what are we doing here? Like put someone in the stands that, Hey, you missed this. You missed this. Like things get missed every game, but something like that, that's egregious needs to be looked at. And it's like, you need to call that kind of thing. Like that's not even like subtle. Like it was the the worst part is the the worst part is is like, what if it wasn't a two minute minor? Like what if Weidman did nothing wrong? And you just see a guy yeah. on the ice. And then you they call, call a five-minute major. And then you have to, and then you call a five-minute major. You have to call a penalty at that point. You can't say no penalty at all. I don't think. Maybe you can. But it's just like, what if you call, call play dead? He doesn't do anything wrong. And then you're stuck. You know, then you're wondering, like, why did they call a five-minute major? Just because they wanted to review a guy on the ice? Like, it's just, it, it it's, they're lucky it was a penalty, right? Because that's. That could have been a lot worse, really. I I would assume that they knew it was a penalty because they already saw it replayed on the Jumbotron. Like, that was clearly what happened, right? Is they saw the replay and they were like, okay, we got to call something so that we have the excuse to call that because it's too egregious to let go. And, like, you're you're right. It is too egregious for them to let go. It's too bad of a penalty. But, Ben, we got to figure out something to figure out how the refs can (laughs) do a better job here because... The game is getting faster. The ice, you know, is not getting any easier to traffic around. The bodies are getting bigger, harder to see stuff. You know, and the referees are younger too. Like, yeah. there's a development problem, right? Like, you're getting guys called up from the AHL, and, and and there's like there's a lot of referee retirements, and they have to backfill. Like, I think in the last like. For three or four years, there's been like at least 10 referees who have retired. That's and that's a lot. lot of guys to just fill in. And it's just like, you know, you have to kind of go into this and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> it would be like, I, I, and I think that you need to have like, when these guys retire, when referees retire, have them go upstairs. Like baseball does that, right? Baseball, if you retire from on-field umpiring, you can go up into be one of the video officials and, and review things from up there. Like, I just think like that's, there has to be some kind of development. And and we talk about with players, we talk about coaches, I mean, referees are probably more important than that, right? It affects both teams on the ice. So uh, yeah, it just, it makes too much sense that we're still talking about this. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's like an ego issue. If the league doesn't want to step on refs, you know, I'm going to have to have Tim Peel again on the show. So he, I can bug him about this because <laughs> This is absolutely wild. And I know like he's he's pretty candid as far as former NHL employees go, which is probably why he's gotten in trouble a few times with the league, but <laughs> something has to change here, whether it's the refs egos or the league not wanting to change. I mean, frankly, I think it's pretty easy to assume that the league doesn't want to modernize because it's that way every every other area, so 
It's uh, it's very- just funny. Like, how many referees do you know their name just because they're awful at their job? Too jobs? many. Too many. Like and TJ Luxmore for sure. Like, like TJ Luxmore, <laughs> like six out. I I kind of I'm. The more I look into it, and the more I think about it, I I often wonder: Are the officials bad, or is their direction bad? Right? Like, are they given conflicting information? Because we know that they are, frankly. You know, they're told crack down on this kind of penalty, but also like manage the game. Because game management is a real thing that is a directive from like the head of the officials, right? Like, it's very clear. Tim Peel was let go last year for saying the quiet part out loud, not because nobody does that. We all know that that happens. Like, you look at uh, last game, last game, uh, where I think it was like the Canadians got a penalty. I forget what the penalty was, but it was just like the softest call imaginable in the third period. Oh no, it was Josh Anderson when he got taken out of the scrum. And it was very clear that he didn't start anything. He was just the guy that was there that they took out of it and Seattle scored on the power play. But the reason why they called that call is not necessarily because he did something egregious, but because the Canadians had had the majority of the penalties or the power plays in that game. They're like, oh, it's an even game. Give one to Seattle. It's like that kind of bowl frustrates people and there's no clarity game to game of how the game is going to be officiated. And that's for the, for the players too. the frustration level has to be extremely high. I mean, obviously there's communication between them and the officials on the ice that we as observers aren't privy to. So it might be less frustrating for them, but call the damn rule book, figure out how to give refs the ability to check themselves because i think most guys probably do want to not make mistakes right like it's just just most people in the world don't want to make a huge mistake in front of millions of people just a guess (laughs) so give them the ability to talk to somebody in their ear and say like did i make a mistake was that a bad call or should i have missed that like have some sort of check and balance here because it's utter chaos and this is probably the worst officiating that I've ever seen in the regular season and we're headed towards the playoffs. And I, I just don't want to see playoffs as officiated officiated as poorly as the last few have been. Cause it's been an absolute. You mean you don't want to watch a guy bleeding from the face from a very obvious high stick and then not call anything or watch a guy get punched in the face directly. What that that's not, that doesn't sound fun to you. It, it was so much fun last year as I, you know, lost some of my hair watching the Habs play Vegas, but you know, Whatever the NHL wants, I guess, right? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't even that. You can't you can't even go farther back. And Matt Niskanen got suspended two games for a play that was not not even called on the ice. You know, <laughs> oh, guy, yeah. he literally cross-checks a guy in the face and, and there's no call. But I just think, yeah, I mean, look, the, the argument that I hear a lot about, like, calling the rule book, like, oh, you'll call everything a penalty. Yeah. And then guys will adjust yep. and there won't be penalties anymore. And there'll be more open space <laughs> and even strength and scoring will go up. Exactly. And literally everyone will be happy. Like Except Twitter. Except Ben Sherratt. Happier. It's a relative happy. scale, Scott. I mean, Matt Drake will still complain about literally every single penalty call on the Montreal Canadiens. But Penny that's Gallagher. Matt. You gotta love him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just seems like you know, every fan base is going to think that they're being wrong, right? Like, and that's that's the key that it's incompetence and not bias, yeah. right? Because, like, it, it's too, I, I don't want to call them incompetent, that's too strong of a word, but, like, it's not biased. Like, they're not purposely biased against your team because that would require them to be, you know, 
smart and like doing this on purpose and and like like i always say this but don't confuse bias with incompetence right like it's it's two different things like i don't think that they're smart enough to just be biased against brendan gallagher or montreal canadians or or things like that but i do think that it plays into a part right like it's just uh yeah it just needs to be better right like Connor mcdavid not drawing a penalty in four games in the playoffs is is kind of like those are things that make you go hmm Maybe something is wrong here. Yeah, one hundred percent. We've got a They're wild Leafs yeah. fan in the chat here asking us to talk about Matthews cross-checking Dahlgren. We might touch on it later, but we're not going to talk about the Leafs for a while because this is we <laughs> just watched the Canadians game, and you're also chirping about the Habs not being in the playoffs. But I was talking about officiating. I'm not talking about the Habs. I'm talking about the entertainment value of the playoffs. <laughs> I want the teams that advance to be the teams that deserve to advance because it's not always the case. I don't want to. Ironically, like the Montreal Canadiens last year. Yeah, yeah, I like the work through in the first round against your team. So you should be wanting this too. All right. Um, I did see a pretty good comment here saying that uh, Weidman is also the guy who shot, who fought Shifley. He's the only guy with balls. And I was thinking, like, yeah, I mean, now Kirby used to, not anymore. <laughs> He's got a new pair attached to his kneecap now after oh my that. God. Like, the thing is, it didn't even hit me until we started the show that, oh, my God, he need him straight in the balls, like right to the dong. <laughs> and like, I didn't think of it. I thought he caught him like in the stomach. And it's like, oh, no, he just straight up like UFC need that man in the balls. And that's why he's lying on the ice in pain right now. So like, I'm assuming oh it wasn't God. on purpose, but it would kind of be more funny if it was on purpose. I don't know. It's a you hell of an aim with also, a knee while moving. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's, it's like that oh, whole thing where if you're gonna if you're gonna take a penalty, make it worth it, right? Like if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna knee a guy, you might as well, you know, make sure he misses. This is why Martin St. Louis is a great coach. He told Chris Weidman to go out there, knee Joel Farabee in the Farabeans, open up the ice for Ben Sherratt to set up Rem Pitlick shorthanded to score in the final 36 seconds of the game. It's absolute genius hockey. Dominique Ducharme could never, honestly. Like it's <laughs> Amazing coaching by Martin St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, Dom, Dom, Dom you give it to him. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Dom Ducharme, uh, Marty St. Louis has now coached the Montreal Canadiens to eight wins okay. in 14 games. That is the same amount that Dom Ducharme coached the Montreal Canadiens to in 45. So he has doubled the Canadiens' win total in 14 games. Man, I think even the most optimistic you know, rose colored glasses, people would not have expected this kind of turnaround. And the thing is like, it's not even like they're winning every game, right They're I think eight, six and or eight, five and one. So it's, it's essentially eight and six, which is not amazing. It's decent, but the turnaround from eight out of 45 to this, <laughs> it's hockey actually worth watching. Like who would have thought when Weidman took that, that penalty at the end of the game that the Canadians were going to come back and score. I didn't. I was ready to turn it <laughs> off and start like getting the stream going already. And then all of a sudden, Jeff Petrie rushes down the ice and Ben Sherratt's like, oh, I'm Paul Coffey now. And I'm going <laughs> to shoot this puck right across the middle of the slot right to Rem Pitlick. And like, OK, you seeing this, Kyle Dubas? Because uh, you got to for this guy. But this team just doesn't quit anymore. And to go from a team where nobody wanted to go out on the ice, it seemed, to this... 
it's absolutely wild. So Marty St. Louis, yeah. <laughs> give him the it, freaking Jack Adams already. It, it's such a wild change. Like you said, is that everyone wants it, Everyone's pulling their weight, even if they lose like, and they do like, look at the game against Winnipeg where they lost eight, four. I still don't think they played badly. The effort was there. They just couldn't get a save to save their life that night. And in this game, it's like you, I, I had to change the article I was writing because they went to overtime in there. And it's like, where was this team for the first, you know, two thirds of the season? And the answer is in the toilet, but the effort and everything's there that even if they lose in a tanking season, Martin St. Louis has them doing exactly what you'd want from your team. There's effort there. There's guys trying, uh, someone just posted the rookie scoring since St. Louis took over the Leafs or took over the Habs, not the Leafs. And Cole Caulfield <laughs> is one point behind Michael Bunting and Rem Pitlick is in fifth with 11 points in 14 games. That's an insane pace for a lot of guys. And the only person who doesn't look any better is Yola Armia since he, since uh, St. Louis took over it, it, it. I don't know if it was just Ducharme's style, if it just was the losing got to this team, but how often do you see 99% of a team immediately look better with a new guy behind the bench? And it's not just like a new coach bounce. Like they're playing legitimately good hockey and winning games that they should in some that they shouldn't. And it's, it's a wild, insane turnaround that I couldn't have predicted. Honestly, like if they won five of these games, I would have been like, okay, we're doing better than before anyways, but eight in 14 is truly, truly impressive yeah. stuff. And the best part yeah, is they're it's, still it's, in it's, last. Right. That, that's, 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 that's the best. I was, you know, like, it's funny because they, they take three out of four points in the two games against teams that are relatively right in front of them in the standings. And, and they're still in last, like, it's pretty, pretty good. Uh, I mean, there was one day when Arizona, Buffalo and Seattle all won. Right. Like that, that's, that's a pretty good day for Montreal Canadians right now. And, and it just goes to show how, deep the hole they were in was yep like it, it, it's it's crazy like well i mean arizona's playing well now too like it's not like you know Montreal's the only team that's winning in that bottom like it, you know buffalo's playing a little better as well but i, I just look i'm i'm st- I'm, I'm still a fan of dominic Ducharme. i don't think he's a dumb guy but it's just insane to me that nobody can figure out that hey cole caulfield should play in an offensive role Man, how, it's just like I just don't, how did he I just have don't one goal in thirty games <laughs> with what we've seen since St. Louis took over? What like come on? I, 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 it's the hard only to thing even I can think of that happened. The, the only thing I can think of is that he and Brock changed bodies before the season started. Blame <laughs> it on poor and, Brock. And 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 when and when Cole Caulfield was stuck in Wisconsin with COVID, they switched back. And and that's the only rational. I mean, that's not even rational. That, that's just the it's only thing I could think of. Like, it's not <laughs> some <laughs> freaky just... Friday shit, man. Like, come exactly, on. exactly. Yeah, Wisconsin style. Uh, but yeah, it's just it, it's it's like it's just it's crazy to me. Like, I just don't think I don't think it's as simple as they gave up on Ducharme. I just I, it's impossible to be that way. Like, it's just you can't just flip a switch, right? Like, I don't think it's that easy. But I just think it's just, I don't know what he was telling the team, but I just, whatever it was, at a certain point, like, wouldn't you change the message? Like, I just, I just don't understand what he was doing. Like, Martin St. Louis, the first day he came in, is like, yeah, I went to man-to-man defense. Like, it took, it took four guys to figure that out. 
Like, I just don't understand. Like, why, why was it so hard? Like, it's just, it's so, it's just, what did, like, what was, what was one thing that Dominic Ducharme did to try and get out of this rut besides change the goalie? He sent Cole Caulfield to the AHL. <laughs> so, which, like, which, like I mean, at the time instantly. wasn't the worst decision he could have made for Cole right. Caulfield, right? Like, it was probably calling him back up too quickly that was the worst decision, but. I mean, they had no other choice, which is the worst part. Yeah, <laughs> it got Pizzetta. It got Pizzetta up when they sent Caulfield down the first time. So I guess that wasn't all bad. And he's still here, which is the wildest part of this season is that Michael Pizzetta is still here. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I scored yesterday. Yeah, I really wish he would have scored today. It's his birthday and everything. Like, I really thought that he was going to get one because he seems like the kind of guy that he's like, it's my birthday. I'm going to do something sick as hell in this game. But he had his chance and he missed he it. He did. Yeah, exactly. He had the chance. So I I just truly don't get, like you said, what Ducharme was doing. Like Caulfield's playing fourth line minutes. Okay. Easier competition, but it's just not working. And then it just stayed there. And then you'd go to like a, a two-man advantage power play. And out there is like Gallagher, Armia, Weidman, and Petrie with someone. And it's like, what what is going on here? You have a guy whose entire bread and butter is finding soft space and shooting pucks in the back of the net. And he's stapled to your bench right now. Yeah. It, I mean, there were signs I will going never back understand last it. year, right? Like scratching Caulfield and Kokaniemi to start the playoffs was like, uh, maybe this guy is not prepared and doesn't know what his best players are. And then they won that first game against Toronto on a very lucky play that ended up giving Paul Byron, you know, a highlight uh real career <laughs> goal. But overall you could go through that playoff run and be like, are they winning despite this guy? Cause it sure as hell seems like it. I think of when they had the four, I think it was a four on three power play at some point in the playoffs and they threw out two defensemen and you're like, uh, are you trying to score? Like what is going on here? And man, I just, I look at where the Canadians are right now, despite the fact that they haven't actually made very many like uh, personnel like on the ice changes, and they are in such a better position just by rooting out some of the old school thinkers and having some progressive thinkers on board. And it's, it's going to keep going that way as they build that front office staff up. Sounds like they're going to build something really robust there. And hopefully we get some diversity of thought in that as well. But man, just even ignoring where they're going for the future, the fact that they're playing interesting hockey now is such a breath of fresh air for someone who has to talk about them all the time. <laughs> and they're doing it with like Laurent Dauphin as their 2C right now. They don't have any real center depth. It's Nick Suzuki. And then all due respect to Ryan Paling and Laurent Dauphin and Jake Evans is that Evans is likely at best a bottom six center, likely a really good 4C on a good team. Yep. Ryan Paling's not quite there yet. And Laurent Dauphin was a top line AHL center and that's it. And he's pulling way above his grade right now to get these kind of results and to see the actual effort from some of these guys in there. I it, He looks like a miracle worker out there. He's playing with no center depth. His wings are good. The defense is hit or miss depending on the night. And he's got his like what fifth and sixth choice goaltenders right now. It's it's absolutely wild to see these kind of results. And I don't know if it's 
what Joel Bouchard and Jean-Francois Houle did with the Rocket over the last two years, that these guys are coming up and they're actually at least somewhat NHL competent. But no team with Laurent Dauphin as a 2C should be winning this many games in the fashion that they're winning them. It's it's really, really impressive. And it might just be the quality of the wingers, Brendan Gallagher being that guy and whatnot. But I, I can't wrap my head around having one legitimate top six NHL center right now and getting these kind of results. Well, and speaking I mean, of Rem that, Bitlick. that top center, oh, yeah. sorry to cut you off, Jared, but I feel like we got to, we got to talk about Nick Suzuki <laughs> because, yeah. you know, we've talked about him several times on this show throughout the year of how much pressure is on this kid. And like, I made the point to Laura Saba last night, Scott's co-host, who I don't know if you saw Scott, but we have created a fake uh, feud between the two of you because you weren't on one night and now you're on the <laughs> next night while she's not on. So clearly you're avoiding each other and hate each other. So Tune in to in my defense, I was COVID napping last night, so that's my <laughs> excuse. Well, she put out a call that you have to come on next Saturday night uh, when she's on again. You have a Locked On Canadians <laughs> show, so if you don't, obviously, there's something there. There's a, there's a, a wrestling storyline going on on Locked On Canadians. A, a few. Ooh, yeah, let me tell to. you there, brother. Much yeah, at the end of the rings. show, you can uh, you can run a promo on Laura. <laughs> But I got to record with her after this. I can't do that. <laughs> she doesn't need to know until tomorrow. All right. But Nick Suzuki, we, we, I talked about it with uh, Laura last night. There's very few players at his age, or frankly, at all in the entire NHL, who are a coach's first choice at even strength, power play, shorthanded, overtime, probably shootout in most cases. Like every situation that you're in, whether you're trailing, whether you're leading, He's the guy who's going to go over the bench first, no matter who the coach is in Montreal. He's going to be the guy. And yet, when there's less depth than he's ever had before, and frankly, you know, losing Deneau and Kokaniemi to start the season, you knew it was going to be a rough uh, adjustment for him. Mm -hmm. But now there's not even Dvorak. You know, the <laughs> least depth he's had, his last few games he's played 23-51, 22-22, 23-02, 2342, 2327. Those are like first pair of numbers. And he's got 14 points in the last 10 games. He's scoring like crazy. He's equaled his career high. I actually surpassed it tonight with two goals. I look back at that game against Edmonton where he scored the goal that uh, ended up getting ruled out as of... Uh, the Oilers coaching staff's amazing ability to review plays. And then he turns around and is like, I'll just do the exact same thing again. And I'm like, this kid, between the playoff performances and what he's doing lately, people need to all recognize this is one badass motherfucker. Like, yeah. he is going is, to is be... Mark Sorry. Is Mark Bergevin's best move signing him before the season? Yes. I know I people mean, he get, were... what, $9 million? You get $9 million now at least? Oh, I think he would have got that before, like after last year's playoff. If he yeah. was a UFA last summer after the playoffs, he probably would have got that. Like he is, yeah. I think people who were trashing that contract in the first half of the season, first of all, weren't taking into account the amount of pressure that he was playing under while nobody around him was performing. <laughs> and like very short memories. Right? This kid is incredible. and He's going to continue to be incredible. I, I think that... <laughs> The sky is the limit for him. I'm so excited to watch his career. 
he and it that's the thing is on the broadcast they're like oh he tied a career high in points and i went how this team's been so <laughs> shit this year that yep. he did what and then he surpassed and i went there's still what like 20 something games left that it's like imagine if he had a, a competent coach for the entire season here like it, and it's like Jared said, Mark Bergevin, if that was his last big move, and I'm pretty sure it was before he got fired outside of, um, no, he wasn't even the one who claimed the guys on waivers, I don't think. Uh, it, it's probably one of his best because Nick Suzuki coming in in a number that starts under eight for a full-term contract is absolutely insane. Because I look at the one Brady Kachuk signed, what, like two weeks afterwards? And I go, Nick Suzuki's a better overall player and is cheaper for longer term it it's an incredible deal and watching him do this and seeing him play he's so smart with what he does defensively he's smart in the neutral zone he makes plays happen in the offensive zone he's an ice cold killer it's like yep. you said in that game against the oilers he scored that one it got ruled out so he went okay fine and instead of scoring at five hole he just roofed it over mike smith and made that old man Because drop you dropped out there for a minute, so what do you took the line off field of Anderson, which has been the entire time St. Louis had, and all it did was my internet's going. Yeah, yeah, your internet's uh cutting you out like crazy. But yeah, I your point stands essentially. We know we all know where, where you were going with it. He is incredible and he's doing this under you know, a lot of duress. Uh, some points here. Somebody says uh, that Gorton claimed Clegg and Hughes claimed Pitlick. I thought Pitlick was claimed before Hughes was hired, but if that's true, good first move by Ken Hughes. I will say, and I've said it a few times on the show, I really like Rem Pitlick as a player going forward for at least a few seasons, but pay attention to that shooting percentage, folks. I, I believe he's around 30%. <laughs> <laughs> think think of Rem Pitlick as Paul Byron with a little bit more offense and less defense. Don't think of him as more than that. He's a guy that'll probably fit on the third line for a couple seasons, maybe end up on the fourth line if they decide to make the fourth line more of a a scoring line instead of uh like a a grinding line. Like if Paling starts next season on the fourth line, Pitlick will be a good fit on them. That'll make sense. Yeah. But I, if, as soon as we get into like, oh yeah, sign him for five years, that's when I'm like, Ooh, that's very Bergevin. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the thing with Pitlick is that he's, it's not just about even the production though for me. It, it's just he's always in good spots, right? Like yeah. there's, I mean that's why he's shooting percentage said, is so high, right? It's the same as right. Byron. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, you know, in the future, like as this team develops, like right now he's like the second center, right? He was playing with Caulfield and Anderson for the end of that game. I don't think that's where he stays, at least not on a good team. But but I think that if you go to a, a third or fourth line where he's playing with a guy with like Paling or Evans and Lekkinen or, or someone like that, I, I think that's, that's a good spot for him. He can play second power play minutes as well. He can play three on three in the regular season. I just think that he's a smart player. And he is. that's one thing that is really coming to the forefront under St. Louis is that the smart guys are thriving. And he said that 
you know, when he first came in, he's like, I want people and my players to make reads. And that's wider in the NHL. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's what's working. Like the guys who are playing well, Suzuki, Caulfield, Pitlick, they're guys that are smart and, and can make those reads and find space. And, and, you know, Lekkanen obviously is a great example of that as well. Right. So I just think that that's, that's a key thing. And if that's the direction you're going in, if they're building up on guys with great hockey sense, sign me up because I mean, that it's like, like the, we're already seeing a difference and it's been two months and it's way too soon for anything that they've done to make a difference, but it's still making a difference Yeah, that in any, in a year or two or three from now, once they build their team the way that they want it, I think that's going to be a, a huge, like, I don't think a lot of people in Montreal have thought about what it means that there's a new regime, right? I don't think they understand. Like Timmons has been here for so long. Verge has been here for, you know, almost half of the time, but like 10 years. I don't think people have comprehended that this is new now. Like player develop, they have someone in player development now. They have a skating coach. Like they have somebody who can build up these players. And I just think that having a, a big front office leaning into just information is, is going to be such a big difference going forward. Like it's already made a difference. Just bringing in a coach like Marty St. Louis is made, like this team has problems. Let's be real. The defensive coverage is still a mess. But but they still have the ability to make a, a, a quicker turnaround than what made seem like they they would have you know two months ago. Yeah, a hundred percent. It it does amaze me. Like it, everything seems to have, and I can't believe this is a thing that I have to praise in the modern NHL. But there's thought behind everything that's happening right now. Like I look at Rem Pitlick, and he fits the style that they wanted to play. They want to play with pace and speed. And with space and Pitlick continues to surprise me with just how fast he actually is on the ice. And like you said, that's the modern guy that you round out your bottom six, your fourth line with. You don't need all due respect to, you know, Michael Pizzetta, but you don't always need the bruiser out there. You know, you want that finesse out there and maybe Michael Pizzetta can develop some of that. And he's shown that a little bit, but this team's laying a lot of really nice groundwork for what lies ahead. There's still a lot of, you know, cap trimming and other things that have to happen here based on what Bergevin did this past off season and the off season before that. But it's a lot better when you see what the core looks like with an actual coach behind it and not just floating aimlessly in the void here. Like they were, (laughs) they're getting an idea who's who actually wants to be here, who can play in this system and who makes it work. And who can we, you know, move out and, you know, bring in someone that does fit that, which is what St. Louis said when he got here, I'm, I'm here to help find the guys who want to be here. And, you know, those who don't, and right now it's a pretty resounding apparent, you know, result of who wants to be here. And it looks like everybody right now, it's not going to be the case in, a, in about a week, but uh, just a complete overhaul. And like you guys said, is hopefully there's more modernization to come with this front office. They hired the skating coach. They have people in player development. What else are they going to do in terms to help, you know, not only Hughes and Gordon, but also St. Louis, who's a rookie behind the bench here, figure out how to get this team to another level. It's great that they're winning now, but okay, the expectation is you're going to crawl out of the basement next season and advance beyond that going forward. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, we've got some good questions here. I got a shout out to Ian Boyver, who's a friend of the show. He had a point earlier. He was saying that uh, Chris Weidman, he's done with him. He wants to call him an Uber. Uh, just calling back to the famous Chris <laughs> Weidman moment from the Ottawa Uber. 
I feel like I'm kind of in the same spot with Weidman. Like, listen, his underlying numbers are great. He's incredibly sheltered. I think he has good skills, but bad hockey sense. And like he's getting his like his production a little bit, and I know that he's been, you know, on the first power play, but there's still like every power play, there's plays where I'm like, what the heck are you doing? What is what is going through your brain that this is the choice that you make on a power play or like in the position that you're in? It makes no sense to me. But I'm also of that opinion, but I'm also looking at it and I talked about this with Laura a little bit last night. I look at this Canadian's defense core, and as Hughes has kind of hinted that they're looking for somewhere to put Petrie going forward, there's not going to be many of these guys back next year. And this kind of layers in another comment that we got where they're saying that I hope that they're going to be bad next year as well and get another top top pick. Listen, with all the things that have gone wrong this year for Montreal, between the bad shooting, the bad goaltending, the injuries, like they have been the least lucky team in the league to finish last, right? Like it's taken a lot to get to this low point, but if they were to just get everything, even they would still only be about like 27th or 28th. So considering they're going to take some players out of here over the trade deadline, over the draft, probably into next season, they're not going to be a great team right away. I don't think there's a risk of them being outside of the bottom 10 next year. And they could gust down lower if they, you know, if carry price is not carry price, if he never comes back, if they don't get a, a solid goaltender at some point, but even if they do go a little bit higher, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Like for these, for these kids to learn and man, I'm just, I look at that defense and I know people were high on Romanov at the beginning of the season. I don't know if anyone on that defense lasts the next three years. In I'm Romanov has been such a weird thing to me in that I can see what he's trying to do sometimes. And then the hockey IQ stops in that. He looks like he doesn't know where to be sometimes. And I don't know if that's just the pairing that he's on with Ben Sherratt or Jeff Petrie or whatever. And they're not communicating he has moments where he's great. He's in position. He can use his, he's very athletic. Like he's good at getting around. He's mobile back there. And then it, there are just times that he looks like he's lost and he's spinning like a top in space because there's a guy here and a guy here. And part of that, I think goes to the coaching staff and that either Luke Richardson needs to figure out what he did in the playoffs, which was Carey price saved ass for two out yes. of three rounds there, or they need to hire someone who can tell Alexander Romanov, Hey, this is what I want you to do. Stop spinning like a top. This is where I want you. And like I said, Ben Schrott's probably going to be, is likely gone. But Jeff Petrie's going to be gone more than likely. That leaves what? David Savard and, you know, Alexander Romanov and Joel Edmondson. Maybe Jordan Harris, depending on what goes on with that. It's And it's not like they can just be like, oh, we'll scratch him and call up someone from Laval. There's Sammy Niku and Xavier Ouellette and Louis Belpedio. Niku might be a marginal upgrade on Chris Weidman. That's about it. So there's not an immediate answer. And like you said, it's still going to be a little rough road ahead, but that's, that's rebuilding. The Rangers weren't magically good after one year mm -hmm. and, you know, take your lumps and draft in the top 10 or whatever in 2023, have some more of your prospects from the last two drafts come to roost. And then you start building up and going for it. It might suck, but 
If you're going to do it, do it right. Don't half-ass it and split the fence like Mark Bergevin did for a decade. And I think the big difference the is, is going to be that they're not going to play boring hockey, right? They're not going to be bad and awful to watch. They're going to be bad, and there's going to be things to look forward to. Like, you're still going to look at Suzuki. Yeah. You're still going to look at Caulfield and the young players coming up, and you're going to get excited about those things. That will keep eyes on even if the wins are few and far between. They're still going to have streaks like this, most likely. I mean, the fact that they've won 8 of 14 with one NHL center. I mean, J Jake Evans is probably an NHL center. But, like, yeah. one proven top nine center. You know, like, even their wingers, there's some guys that are out. Lekin and out tonight at the last minute. He's been their best player at forward essentially all year. Their defense, they've got tons of guys out, and it wasn't good to begin with. And then they're playing their third and fifth string goaltender. Like it's it's incredible what they're doing right now, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the major thing is, and Scott touched on it, you know, Luke Richardson has worn out his welcome. And I think that look, it's now been three head coaches where the defensive zone coverage has been abysmal. And the PK and, too, and I, which I, he runs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And and it was bad when he was with the Islanders before coming to Montreal and, and I, not, not, I don't want to throw him necessarily under the bus, but I just think that what if you get uh do charm to St. Louis like improvement on the defense. Right. And, you know, people are writing off Cole Caulfield about a month ago. Uh, I, I wouldn't be so quick to, you know, write off Romanov yet. Uh, obviously it's a concern, but, but I, I think that, you know, first things first, get a new coach in there, see if they can switch things around. You know, defensive zone coverage is probably the hardest thing to change, right? Because it relies on five guys to all be on the same page. And, you know, when guys are in and out of the lineup, it's not easy. Um, but the second thing is, like you mentioned 2023, if they do this right, and I believe they will, they're, they're talking about a, a splash and free agency, which is fine, right? You, you have to surround players, right? Getting a real number two center is not a bad thing for Nick Suzuki's development. Let's be real here. But, but I think if if they overachieve, even if, if they overachieve, if they do it because the way they're doing it now with guys like Caulfield and Suzuki and Pitlick and guys who are part of this future leading the way, then that's not a bad thing either, right? Like, it's not all about getting a good draft pick. And that's the whole thing about this whole improvement thing. It's like people are like, oh, it's going to ruin their pick. And it hasn't, first of all. But even if it did, if it's ruining your pick because Suzuki is playing well, and Caulfield is playing well. That's better than the difference between the first pick and the fifth pick, right? Like, yes, that's it, it. It's it's all marginal, right? Like it's all relative. And so that you know, it's not like they're winning games right now because you know, uh, Laurent Dauphin is is scoring twenty goals, and you know, Ben Sherrod is leading the way <laughs> on defense, and and you know, Andrew Hammond is stealing games. Like it, it, they're they're not relying on those guys to win games, right? So. It's it's a little bit different, but I, I think that there's there's a way to you want your young guys eventually to take a step, right? That's the whole thing with Buffalo and Edmonton when they were bad, and Ottawa even right now is that eventually you want your young guys to step up and win games, right? You don't want to be in the basement forever, and I think that you know I don't think they're going to be magically good next year, but I think there's an argument that they can you know get to a respectable even maybe even a playoff race, but as long as they're relying on the right people. It's okay. Yeah, and I think this is something that I think Canadians fans have a bit of, like, for lack of a better term, because I don't want to, like, 
make it not serious because it is a serious actual medical issue, but some PTSD over like the way that the draft has gone for the Canadians over the last several years. I mean, several, I mean, really like since 2007, uh, they see <laughs> falling down the draft and like, Oh, well you can't get anybody worth value in the middle of the first round or like the late first round. But most teams do all the time, you know, the big thing I mean, the Habs have be, done it themselves. They have. Cole Caulfield was the middle of the first round. You know, even the Canadians have found those. Max Pacioretty was at the end of round one. Yeah, I said two, since 2007, Scott. You can't bring up 2007, okay? The one okay. time Trevor Timmons made his. Why not? Career. It was good. You talk, you, talk, you talk about PTSD. What if they, what if they pick third this year? Yeah, well, like that, I've, that's I've already, a, I've already seen people on. freak out about that. But here's the thing if they pick third this year, I bet you that player is going to be better than what we saw from Galchenyuk and what we saw from Jesperi Kokaniemi here because they'll be properly developed, properly handled, not rushed. Yes. I think this is going to be the big thing to watch for this is even players who were drafted under the Bergevin regime who stalled or stagnated or who maybe we don't necessarily have the highest of hopes for anymore. Like, we don't even talk about Matthias Norlander really anymore. He had his cup of coffee over here. He was kind of treated like garbage and then went back to Sweden. I'm not sold that he's going to not be an NHLer. I think he might be back here as soon as next year. I think he, there's something there. Towards the end of his time in the NHL, as he was adjusting to North American ice, I saw something there. So I think there's a lot of prospects that we're going to see over the next couple of years for the Montreal Canadiens that break in and do a lot better than we're expecting. You know, Jesse Yalonen is definitely going to be one of those guys. I'm excited to see what he can do because he's one of the guys that uh, I know that several members of the media in Montreal were talking about how Arturi Lekkanen is replaceable. He's the only guy that I feel like might be able to fill those shoes a little bit. Different style of player, but kind of brings the the same level of attitude, we'll say. And I, I like Jesse Yalonen, but there's going to be a lot better bang for buck under the new regime. Or at least they're better be. <laughs> or they're, they're selling us can't a, get worse, a though. bunch of hot dogs. can't get worse. No, you, that's the thing. Can't you literally can't get worse. And yeah. Oh, it can definitely get worse. Uh, they were literally the can, worst. Though, honestly. <laughs> honestly, even... even Wait, were they? A, a bad yes, team the Canadians were the worst development uh, program in the entire NHL over the last 10 to 12 years. We're number one. <laughs> Yeah. We're number one. Someone here posted, yeah, Joshua yeah. Waugh, who is absolutely lighting up the QMJHL this year. And mm-hmm. I've talked to a few different scouts who say that was like the way that he generates offense might not translate that well to the NHL. But while that would be a big issue under the Bergevin regime, which is essentially <laughs> sink or swim, figure it out, or you're a bust. I think this regime, where they're actually going to develop his skill set, He's now an extremely, look, extremely interesting prospect. Yeah, I think that, look, it's not even guys like that. Like Jonathan Drouin, right? Like uh, Christian Dvorak. Like they haven't played really under St. Louis. Those are guys that are still young enough to take that next step, right? It's not like their careers are over, right? So I think that, you know, if this team is competitive, let's say three years, let's say that's the target, Right. Jonathan Drouin, obviously there's a contract to sign there, whatever. But Christian Dvorak is still under contract if they keep him around. Like, those are guys that are still going to be key parts of a team. You know, Dvorak was was asked to replace Dano and Kotkaniemi at the same time. Right? Yeah. Like, like, no one, like, it's, it was, you talk about Suzuki having an impossible way to go. Uh, so Christian Dvorak, Dvorak replacing Dvorak and Kotkaniemi at the same time while playing with, 
you know, two schizophrenic wingers. Uh, do I play <laughs> offense or defense? <laughs> like, it's like, but like you put, you Jesus put Dvorak. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase. You put Dvorak with. You're Michael not wrong. Hoffman, you can't tell him to play Hoffman defense and to give him Mike Hoffman. <laughs> right. You put him with Hoffman and Anderson. Do you do you want me to play defense or do you want me to play offense? Like, what do you want me to do here? Like, and, and I just think that that's that. You know, there's a lot of issues here. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see what can happen with the second tier of prospects because that's the whole thing, right? The, the, the problem has never been for the Canadians developing that top level, right? Like guys like, I don't, I know, too, you know it's been a long time since they've had top players, but they've, they've still had it. You know, Philip Deneau was a top player, you know, and whether they've developed Montreal or not, that's a different story, I guess. But, the, you know, Nick Suzuki for all intents <laughs> purposes, was here under Mark Bergevin. But the difference is that they have nobody, and we're seeing it now, nobody underneath that. Like that, you, And eventually, and the big thing with the Sylvain, Sylvain Lefebvre era is that nobody came from the AHL either, right? Like there, there was nobody. And, and now uh. you look at Michael Pizzetta, right? You look at Michael Pizzetta. You look at guys like uh, Jesse Ullinen. You look at guys like Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Joel Teasdale, uh, Lucas Vedamo even is, is a, you know, you, you mentioned replacing Lekkanen, a, a combination of Ullinen and Vedamo can probably get that done in some capacity. But, but I just think that you have those guys to fill in the bottom. Ryan Paling is, is a good example of that as well. Like, and that's, that's a big difference, right? Like you don't have to sign guys to fill out your bottom six to like $2 million, $3 million contracts when you have those guys on entry-level contracts coming up. Or $3.4 million for UL Armia, Jared. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, man, man, Mark Bergman is lucky he signed Suzuki to that contract because otherwise his last three months would be the worst of any general manager ever. Um, I'm not even... <laughs> be, not like, that's not even That's uh, not even hyperbole. Uh, there's what, Peter Chiarelli. No, yeah, no, Chirelli's no. in the competition I think, I, for sure. In a, in a three-month period, yeah, true. I, I from, mean, from 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 the draft whoop. to letting Deno walk to signing Mike Hoffman for whatever reason to, uh, like, there's nothing that he did from the playoffs on that worked out except for Nick Suzuki and John Sedgwick. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, well, when you put it that I, way. <laughs> It's still it's still early, obviously, but but everything is aged pretty badly, right? Like coaching staff, um, you know, the Laval coaching staff worked out okay, they're doing well, but it's just like everything that he's done has aged really badly for now, and and except for those two things, so I mean, it's just I, I yeah, it's it's been a rough go, but I mean, it's that's what a new regime is, right? You have to usually undo the mistakes of the previous administration. Somebody says, if you want to fo- focus on the negative, I'll remind you on the positive. You ready? Chicago Blackhawks, Pittsburgh Penguins. Tam- oh, this is talking about the rebuild. Sorry, out of context. Because people were saying uh, you didn't want to get caught in a forever rebuild like Edmonton and Buffalo. I mean, Edmonton's not in a rebuild anymore. The thing about no. Edmonton is they really did it a took- good job of making their rebuild last longer by being really stupid. And <laughs> Buffalo, I think, <laughs> just tore it down too far. And then they got Eichel and they didn't have anything yeah. to surround him with. So they panicked and started bringing in a bunch of assets and trying to fill that void. And it just never worked. And yeah. so you had a situation where 
one team is consistently shooting themselves in the foot and the other team got really impatient and tried to like push out of it really quickly and ended up getting stuck in a rebuild that failed and then going back into another rebuild. So yeah, when, I, when I talk about Edmonton, I just to be clear when I talk about Edmonton, I mean, pre McDavid Edmonton. Yes. Like yeah. that, that, that's what I'm referring to when I mean, Edmonton. obviously now they're out of that, right? But yeah. Current Edmonton is just in the same situation as the Habs were under Bergevin, only they've got Absolutely. a generational yeah, superstar and yeah. Leon <laughs> Dreisaitl, and they go, ah, oh, well, we can't possibly afford a goalie. We'll just sign Mike Smith for two years, and look at how that's paying off for them. So, like, it's, like, it's like the Bizarro, Bizarro Canadians. But it is. It's very, yeah, it's <laughs> McDavid instead of Price, right? Or I guess Price, Subban, Pacioretty versus McDavid, Dreisaitl. Yeah. And I mean, almost everybody's going to take McDavid, Dreisaitl over them, understandably. But Ken Holland is well, essentially Mark Bergevin, right? <laughs> Bergevin came in to a team that had bottomed out the year before. So he's got a, a third overall pick. Gallagher's coming up. You know, you've got three pieces that you're severely underestimating because one of them happens to be black. And the goalie, I think everybody knew who how good Price was. He's on a great contract. And Pacioretty, everyone's underestimating because they think he's soft for something. But anyway, the next few years, you have, at the very worst, the second best defenseman in the league for a four or five year stretch, the best goaltender in the league over that stretch. And I think Pacioretty was the third or fourth best goal scorer in the league over that stretch. Edmonton has essentially the same value in two players. And Holland's like, well, you know, you can't go all in every year at the trade (laughs) deadline. Like, uh no yeah you, you haven't have gone to. in any year <laughs> you, but like literally you have no choice these guys are in their prime like this what are you doing here if you don't find a way around the cap issues to go for it every single goddamn year that these players exist on your team under contract look at the pittsburgh penguins the pittsburgh penguins have been going all in for like 15 years they have no draft picks ever. They have no prospects. And then they're like, mm, yes, well, Brian Rust is going to be a point per game player. Who the fuck is Brian Rust? You know, like the Mark Donk thing happens because they are consistently finding players that fit in their system yeah. and developing players that fit in their system with zero assets to move for them. They're just yeah. desperate to find players to fill those holes and play along two generational players. And I, I, you could argue that Latang is almost as good because he's been through injuries and illnesses spectacularly consistent throughout his career. Good teams find a way. Ken, <laughs> who's, who's Ken Holland is a coward. Order. I'm going to say it. Who, who, Ken Holland is a coward. <laughs> go for it. You, you can't tell me that you can't go for it right now. Like what you, like you said, What's your excuse if Pittsburgh can do it? You have prospects to trade here. You have movable pieces, but you're going to throw Zach Cassian and a guy who won't get vaccinated out on the ice? Uh, and like Alex Chason when they signed him but, again because they used him on the top power play unit. They scored like 10 goals. Like It's just Dale who, who is one? But who is one person <laughs> outside the top 10 that has made a career in Edmonton? And... And, and like, why are they so scared of trading this pick? Like, what, what development record do they have? Like, I think it was a couple of years ago where they had zero, zero players drafted outside the first round to have played an NHL game for them. Like, that is just ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and I know it's not all Ken Holland's fault because most of it was before him. But I mean, like, how do you not have... Like, how do you not even find these Brian Russ? Like, they aren't that hard to find. Montreal has a bunch of them. 
like Rem Pitlick was on waivers. Like, yep. like you're not telling me that like, <laughs> the only like, these he guys found can those be found. Guys. Yeah, Bergevin exactly. found those guys. That's the only thing he did well. Yep. I mean, Bergevin, if Bergevin was going to, you know, you know what? Like, Bergevin, if any team needed Mark Bergevin as a senior advisor to the general manager, it's Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. They're going to sign so many third pairing defensemen, which actually is probably better than what they're doing right now because they might not assign Duncan Keith. So, like, that might actually be a net positive for them. Well, that, that, but, like, that's a Bergevin move Calgary too, traded right? for Tyler Toffoli. And and Calgary didn't need Tyler Toffoli, to be quite honest with you. Edmonton probably did. And Calgary's like, yep, that's ours now. We're going to go take but, this. And Edmonton's just going, I can't believe this would happen. Why did no one tell me we could another, trade for Tyler Toffoli? And he just move, stands way, there. Right? Another version of move is saying, oh, there's no centers that get traded. But meanwhile, literally like 15 centers got traded over his tenure. Ryan O'Reilly and, you know, all, all the, you know, the, I can go down the list. I don't have it in front of me right now. But like, th- that's a whole. He eventually like, look, traded it, for two, though. I will give yes, him that. Absolutely. Like, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Three, guess, but he, not, not, at, not while they were number one centers, though. To yes, be fair. Sure. They were prospects at that point. But mm-hmm. at the same time, at the same time, though, you look at Edmonton and Scott mentioned to Foley, if they trade Dylan Holloway, their first and a fifth. For Toffoli right now, like are they? They're they're so much better off than they are right now. Like right, like 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 it's just it, I don't understand why they're not trying to do things. Like what are you waiting for? Literally, what are you waiting for? Like I just don't understand. Like, what are you are you another first for, overall pick? Are you waiting for McDavid to like ask for a trade so you can get like a Gretzky Hall? Like is that what you're trying to do? Like are you trying to? Are they trying to make Leon Draisaitl the Messier in 1990? Is that what their goal yes. is? Like, I just don't understand what I don't like. What What are you waiting for? I don't understand. Like, I, I don't say to be a, an expert necessarily, but I mean, what are you waiting for? It just doesn't make sense. There's no argument you can tell me that makes sense. No, it, it doesn't. And like we compared him to Bergevin, but Ken Holland is way worse than Bergevin. And there's a comment yes. here from, from Greg Bayer saying, uh, Jesus, you you guys always rip on Mark. He was honestly an average GM throughout his tenure. Had good trades yes. and crap picks at the beginning, but decent towards the end. Here's the thing. I mean, not really decent towards the end. I mean, I guess decent picks towards the end, but he kind of did a really bad job in the last year of his tenure. But anyway, uh, yes. the thing about Mark Bergevin is not just that he was a really bad GM, because you're right that he was closer to an average GM, is that... Mm-hmm. Mark Bergevin inherited a core that should have contended for a Stanley Cup, and they never got there because he poorly evaluated them at the very beginning and then couldn't decide on a direction to go with for like three or four straight years. He was flip-flopping back and forth in what kind of team he wanted them to be. He stuck by a bad coach for too long. And then, yeah, he made some good moves the last couple of years, like Suzuki trade, friggin' phenomenal, absolutely massive. The Deneau trade, unbelievable. But it was too late because yeah. Price was already in his early 30s. Like your generational players yeah. are too old. Shea Weber, too old. Jeff Petrie, too old. So <laughs> he waffled for too long when he should have been striking while the iron was hot. And that's a fatal flaw for a general manager. He recognized yeah. too late that what he had at the beginning was something special. And maybe if he wasn't a rookie GM, that wouldn't have happened. Maybe he wouldn't make that mistake now. Don't know. But yeah, look, look, he I, made I, some I, bad calls. Birds, like, he, he made some bad calls. He was also pretty good. Like he wasn't bad. But I just feel like his his. You talk about that major flaw. Another major flaw. He didn't understand why this team won games. 
Like, I just don't feel like he understood what made them successful. Even heading into this offseason, he didn't understand what made them good in the playoffs. And, and and it's not it's not just Carey Price. It's it's more than that. There was there were things that were part of that team that made them successful, but he didn't understand why Philip Deneau was so good. He didn't understand what Lars Eller was, right? Like it's the same problem. Um, we're lucky that Nick Suzuki put up points because he probably wouldn't understand that either. Um, he didn't insulate himself against Kakaniemi. He didn't prepare well for that. He didn't he didn't manage people very well either. That's another thing. Um, so there's a lot of things, but I, I will give you this. Mark Bridge was a much better GM than Ken Holland because look at Ken Holland. The bar's in low. His last few years in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but look at, look at Ken Holland's last few years in Detroit. Oh, like, God awful. Like, like we, we complain about you all like, Armia check out like the <laughs> contract. <laughs> like Steven Weiss. Even Darren Helm, who was a legitimately good player, they're like, well, "Oh, let's give him like six years and five million dollars." Like, what are you doing? He's a third liner. Yeah, yeah. It's just Mark Bergevin is a good GM to be perpetually where the Canadians were, which is yes. bubble playoffs with the chance to impress. And and that's like you said, that's average, right? Fifteenth in the league is is average. That's fine. Um, but I just don't think he understood enough about even his own team to take them to that next level. Um, and when he did, it was too late. You know, I, I don't even know if he understood what Ducharme did when, when he gave, and, and again, he was in a no win situation, right? Like if he doesn't sign Ducharme to an extension this off season, we're like, what is he doing? And, and I just think that there was no, he didn't insulate his losses. Like you can lose that. No, he wasn't irreplaceable, hard to replace. Yes. Not irreplaceable. But then you can't lose Kot Kanyemi or put yourself in a position to lose Kot Kanyemi. Like, like ah, it, it's just, it's frustrating because I just feel like those were errors that could have easily been rectified. And, and you know, like giving Dano an extra 500000 and then not signing Mike Hoffman probably was the right move. Um, you know, giving Kot Kanyemi a contract like he's going to sign in Carolina, if you were to give an eight times five at the end of the season, he probably would have accepted that. And you'd probably be in a better position than you are right now. Um, and so it's just things like that. Like it, it's, I don't, I don't blame him necessarily for all the moves he did, but there were clear mistakes and they just compounded like losing both Dano and Kotkaniemi bad. Yes. Very <laughs> like, bad. Like, yeah. Like losing Weber, like he knew he was losing Weber and then just signing David Savard. Not good. Like, oh. like it's just, like David Savard would have been a perfect addition if they still had Jay Weber, for example, but not to replace Jay Weber because they had nothing. Like John Merrill is doing pretty well in Minnesota, last I checked. Like I just, there, yeah, I, I just feel like there's a, a misunderstanding of what made this team good. And he lost all the parts that made them good. <laughs> and some, some through his fault, some not through his fault. Like you can't blame for Carey Price or even no. Shea Weber. But but there were other ways to get around that. You can't really blame him for Shea Weber going down, but you can blame him for 100% knowing that that him. was going to happen for <laughs> yes. several seasons and not making any move to actually improve the team <laughs> and replace him internally. Like, right. Yeah. Like, really? Like, what if Petrie was gone too right now? Who do they have who can move the puck? I mean, the best puck mover they Shuderman. have might be Corey Shuderman. Shuderman. Yeah. Like... <laughs> 
I mean, he's found money for sure. I like him a lot. But... A guy who was in an AHL contract a year and a half ago, by the way. Oh, my God. It's just, it's absolute madness. All right, before we close things out, we have to talk about Cole Caulfield. We haven't even yes. really touched on the fact that he ripped that shot in overtime. <laughs> Cole Caulfield has four overtime winners in 54 NHL games played. <laughs> like cue cue all the Leafs fans saying, "Oh, he's only a three-on-three three player." Yeah, go right. for it. I mean, didn't he score against the Leafs the other game? But he uh, did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. He did only yeah. a three-on-three three player, except for the time that he set up Nick Suzuki in overtime and the playoffs. Yeah, and the playoffs. J T. Miller and Alex DeBrinket are the only players in the league who have more overtime goals over the last two years than Cole Caulfield, <laughs> and they've played 112 and 110 games. Caulfield's at 54. This kid, <laughs> like, you talk about a clutch gene. As soon as this game is three on three, it's just like, find a spot, Cole. We're going to find you with the puck. You're going to rip it home. <laughs> that setup from Pitlick was amazing because Hoffman went off the ice and you saw Caulfield jump on. You're like, oh, shit, he's going to do that thing that he does. And then he didn't just take the wrist shot, though. He loads up a slap shot and just takes <laughs> Carter Hart's soul with him. It was amazing. You know like, who that reminded me of? David D'Arnais, of all people. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. David D'Arnais did that in the shootout? The shootout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against the Leafs. It was against That's the right. Leafs, too. That's right. <laughs> but uh, I feel like, I feel like it, there's like he's, you should meme, he's so good. <laughs> you should meme Caulfield winding up that slap shot. With like 2019 draft, you know, on his stick, um, because it, it, it did feel like it was a little bit personal that he wasn't taken and Cam York was taken ahead of him. Uh, Mark Dumont tweeted not, not out the, the video, by the way, of the Flyers fans reacting to Cam York getting picked over Cole Caulfield, uh, and it's every bit as funny as I remember it being because they're like USNDP, yeah, yeah. No, no, the draft wasn't in Philly, but the, there was a draft party that was oh, filmed. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, and they're all watching, and they hear, okay, Flyers Select from the U.S. Development Program. The guy's going, yeah, and they go defense, and you hear a guy in the bar just go, no! <laughs> it's so, so good, and it's, it's, I I have no word. It's like, Caulfield continues to just amaze me with how easy he's made it look, in, like, since saying that we took over. He, he looks like a brand-new find, like a brand-new player. And Jared and I watched his debut in Laval last year. And then in the playoffs and everything like that, he's, he's stupid good when he shoots the puck. I don't know how to put it any better than that. He might be the best pure goal scorer the Canadians have had in a long time. And with all due respect to Max Pacioretty, when Caulfield gets regular line mates and a good coach for his career, he might surpass that once, you know, he gets going here. He's, he's special. And that's the only way I can put it. And the, the best thing about Cole Caulfield, and I'm not even going to talk about his overtime winner. I'm going to talk about Suzuki's first goal on the power play. The cross-ice pass from Caulfield to Suzuki. Once teams start to respect that pass, because he's done it a couple of times already, his, that's going to open up the shot. And how do you... It, it's similar yep. to Suzuki on the other side, right? Once Suzuki started shooting like crazy, what did teams do? They started backing off, right? And what does he do then? He makes the perfect pass. It's going to be the opposite of Caulfield where what's going to happen is that teams are going to have to defend the pass when he has the puck on the power play. And that's going to open up so many opportunities for him um, once they have to play the pass on him. And, and I just think that that's, he, he's not just a shooter. 
And yes, that's one thing he does really well. It's probably his best skill besides finding space. But I think that what we're seeing and what makes him such a great player and what is going to make him even better is, is his ability to make plays for others. And yes. that's something that a lot of shooters don't have, but he does. I mentioned smart players. He's smart. He's too smart to fail. And, and I think that, you know, that's um, the mindset that's embracing a guy like that is an is a organization that's going to be very successful. And that's what the Canadians are doing now. Yeah, I mean, I, their coach I is love pretty much that guy there, too. Jared. Love it. That was great. <laughs> Cole Caulfield can points. That's all I've got to say. That's all I'm adding to the end of this is, <laughs> is there saying from Laura and I show is Cole Caulfield can points. So he's, I'm, God, he's so fucking good at hockey. It's he's great. Fun, right? And this is yeah. what's so crazy about this season is Caulfield is so fun to watch. We saw it last year in the playoffs. We saw it last year at the end of the season, and that fun was just gone for the first half of this season, and it's so good to see it back. I will say one thing that encourages me about Caulfield is like I know when St. Louis first took over and he was shooting the lights out, it's like very easy to be like, oh, man, this is how he's going to shoot the rest of his career, and I think he was scoring at one point like 30% of his shots. That's not going to continue. However, he's actually shooting a lot more lately. Like He's getting looks a lot more often. He's yeah. going to his shot a lot more often. And not at the detriment of playmaking. He's up to 17 points in 14 games under St. Louis, which is 25th in the NHL over that time. It's pretty good. Like <laughs> it's pretty good. The, the thing is, the thing is, if he gets like 200 plus shots a year, and he, he even if he doesn't shoot 30, percent he doesn't have to. But if no. he becomes a volume shooter and is a great shooter, like, like he's he like shoot him in for 40, right? Like that's that's the that's the combination. Right. Like, you know, like the, the whole thing with Gallagher and even Pacioretty to a certain extent is that they were, you know, volume shooters to a certain extent, but also not really great shooters. Like Pacioretty was a great shooter, but not really. He wasn't as high a volume. Right. And Gallagher is the opposite. But Cole Coffin. Pacioretty was pretty two. high volume as well. Yeah. yeah. That's, true. that's yeah. why he scored like 37. And that's why he scored 40. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, he never 30, quite 30. hit 40. He got to. Yeah. Uh, 39 but, one year but he was like a 300 shot a season guy which is pretty damn good yeah exactly so if Caulfield can get like 300 a year which is not outlandish given the ice time and, and opportunity he'll get like that's that's the recipe for him to be successful like you don't have to shoot you know 20 even <laughs> to get a lot of goals when you shoot 300 times right like so yeah it, i just think that that's and even even when he got sent to Laval, we mentioned it earlier, when he got sent to Laval, he didn't look like that player either. Like I do think that there was a reset that needed to happen. I think that the time in Wisconsin did help him because remember that first game with Ducharme before he got fired was also his best game of the year, right? It wasn't like St. Louis came in, it was instantly better. He was really good in that first game, that last game under Ducharme as well. You can so see the, you can it, see things turning around. You can see it starting, yeah, right. exactly. But the fact that he immediately scored and then kept scoring oh, right after. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> not yeah. like, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a Ducharme apologist here. I'm not. Oh, I know. I, I know. I'm, but I do. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, there, there's he definitely had a mindset change. I think that's a part of it. And then obviously the opportunity came with it and he ran with it because he's a good player. And that's what good players do. Right. Like that's that's just the recipe. You put good players in good situations. You're going to get good results. And. I mean, that's pretty much what the Canadians are doing under Marseille and St. Louis. 
It's not that it, it, it sounds so simple, which is why it's so frustrating that it took them, you know, 50 games to get there or whatever it was, 40 something games. Yeah, it's it's fun. Like, that's the biggest takeaway from what's going on right, right. now. It's fun. Yeah. Everybody's it's, looking forward to the fun, future. Man. All right. Before so we before we close so out the show, we promised at the beginning that we would talk about Austin Matthews pooping his <laughs> diaper and probably getting suspended. At possibly the worst time for the Maple Leafs because their goaltenders <laughs> can't stop anything. And I love when Steve Dangle is posting like the screenshots of every goal lately, and Mrazik is never touching blue paint. <laughs> like uh... there there have been some rough goaltending situations here, but even Caden Primo this year, I feel like was not out of the blue paint on every goal. <laughs> Peter Morazic no, like, has made Samuel Montembeau look like prime carry price this season. And that's saying a lot because Samuel Montembeau has like an 897 <laughs> save percentage and he looks light years better than the current Leafs goaltending situation with little to do no respect to Peter Morazic. Like, dude, what the hell are you doing? I looked up and I saw Matthew score. And I'm like, okay, Toronto's going to take over this game. And then nope, just it what are you doing it i get it tj brody deflected one in your net cool ben Chirot does that six times a week in montreal they're fine you get used to it but the third goal he let in and then the fourth one where he knocked his own net off and they counted it it's it's bad and then matthews lost his temper admittedly he he gets roughed up out there the same way mcdavid when he elbowed katkaniemi in the face last year in that game he just got sick and tired of it the difference is you cross-checked a dude in the neck in yeah. front of the entire national audience in a fit of rage. Then you got laid out by Dylan Cousins and Michael Bunting came to your defense and he got folded like a lawn chair and it's just all around embarrassing. Like there's there's being a sore loser and then there's whatever the hell happened in that game. Like I'm going to be shocked if they suspend him because it's the NHL and the Department of Player Safety is a joke, but it's not a good look for a, for a team that is struggling this much. Teams know that the mental fragility is there and you're going to get under their skin now. You don't think Brendan Gallagher is going to park himself three inches from Preeta Morazic's face for every single game they play for the rest of the year? It's it's going to be a nightmare for him until they figure it out. They need to yeah. acquire a big yeah, hulking defenseman like Ben Sherratt for a first-round <laughs> pick in Matthew Nyes. At Kyle Dubas, yeah. stop. <laughs> acquire Ben Sherratt for a first, stop. Topi and the MLA would be nice too. Stop. Thanks, Kent. <laughs> yeah, I but I'm getting I'm getting the McDavid vibes from Matthews, right? And Scott mentioned it. Like I just feel like that is when like uh, they're a good team, but they just they have a fatal flaw and can't seem to correct it. And and look, Jack Campbell was not the reason they lost to Montreal at all. You can argue he outplayed Carey Price, except for you know game six overtime. But at the same time, they got no production from their top players, and that's on them. And I think that that's where things need to go. And, and it's just, I don't know. We talked about Mark Bergevin not knowing how to get the Canadians to the next level. I, I don't know whether Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe know how to get more out of this Leafs team. And and I think that yes, the goaltending is part of it, and you can't coach goaltending. But at a certain point, man, like, I, man, J Jake Allen would get a first round pick right now between Edmonton or Toronto. 
Like I, I don't like he like I if he was healthy, he'd be traded to either Edmonton or Toronto for a really good amount. And and you can make an argument they should do it. He's the yep. perfect situation for both those teams right now. Yeah, hundred percent. He's cheap. He's shown that he can play yep. in the playoffs before. I will say, I'm less skeptical of Kyle Dubis than like some others are, just because mm. I look at his work in this off season and. You know, as much criticism as yeah. he faced for running it back, you know, bringing in Kasha and Bunting were absolute home yes. runs. Nick Ritchie didn't yes. work out, but he was able to trade Ritchie while addressing a need on defense <laughs> and not keeping any salary. So, like, pretty whirlwind yeah. of great moves for Kyle Dubas. But I do see the fact that they keep doubling down on defense is a bit problematic because it hasn't been defense that's killed them in the last couple of playoffs. I, like, yeah, going back to the Bruins series, sure. But against the Blue Jackets and the Canadians, it's that their offense died, right? It was it was Jason Spezza and Willie Nylander carrying the bag, and that was it. Because Deneau was in Matthews' face the entire series, and Mitch Marner completely wilted. Will he do that this year? I don't know. I think that he's been pretty good this year, but who knows yeah. what's going on in their heads. But you know what? Like, we don't need to talk about the Leafs anymore. They get enough airtime. <laughs> will somebody please talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs? How do the Toronto Maple Leafs affect the Toronto Maple Leafs on Game Over Montreal? <laughs> Seriously. All right. I'm going to wrap it up because I got to get to bed. And uh, thanks, you guys, for both both for joining me. Before I uh, close out the show, first, Jared, then Scott, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Uh, at Jared Book on on Twitter, have eyes on the prize um, every day. Um, that's that's where we have our stuff. <laughs> that's 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 the key. And um, yeah, working hard and covering hockey. Uh, you can find me at Scott Matla on Twitter. Please don't yell at me about the gifts. It's what's happening in the game for the love of God. Um, I'm also at Habs Eyes on the Prize where I do not work nearly as hard as Jared or Justin. Uh, <laughs> so, and then Locked On Canadians at LO underscore Canadians with my fantastic co-host, Laura Saba. We do a show every single day on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. Really appreciate it. We'll be back at it on Tuesday. Excited to chat with you all then. And uh, obviously, check out the SDPN app, check out the SDPN shop, buy some Game Over merchandise because it helps support the show. Tell all your friends about the show, especially Canadians fans. Tell them to tune in live or watch on YouTube or listen on Spotify or whatever. Rate the show, like the YouTube video, subscribe to the channel, all that.